Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Fay, And on today's podcast, I am joined by Tyrone Marshall. How are you doing, mate? It's been a bit of a slow start to the summer, hasn't it? But I guess every day is one day closer to the end. <laughs> That's a very good way of looking at it, Rich. A very good way of looking at it. Yeah, it has been a, a slow start as far as United are concerned. Anyway, I feel like it's been quite a... Um, fairly hectic start to the window generally I guess it feels like quite a few clubs are getting deals done early Chelsea selling everyone to Saudi Arabia and getting money for Havertz and Kovacic it, it does feel like quite a lot is happening just not not really where we need it to happen just yet which I'm sure we're going to touch on over the next uh, 40 minutes or so yeah I, I guess that is an important note there isn't it that in terms of the actual transfer window being opened it's what two weeks nearly three yeah. weeks so it'll be um, and you know, from United's point of view, that is that's fine the way things are going. But it is when your rivals start doing business, like you said, City, Liverpool, Arsenal, all buying players, and United know they need to be closer to City at least, and need to try to keep the ground as well between them and even putting Newcastle in there. They sound close to Tonali, so there's always going to be a bit of frustration when you compare yourself to your rivals. But as we've seen before, winning the transfer market doesn't mean that you win the league, and. I suppose that brings us on to where United are now. They're in a slightly difficult situation in that they're stuck with Chelsea over Mason Mount. Both teams reluctant to budge. Chelsea feel that United haven't reached their valuation for the, for the player yet. He's, he's got one year left on his contract. United believe that you know they're close to their limit of what they'd be happy to pay. Bit of bravado on both parts. One team at least will have to you know, meet in the middle. They'll have to to either drop or drop or up their valuation of the player, and at the moment it's just a bit of a standstill. Where do you where do you actually stand on it? Do you think that both teams are just trying to eke a bit more money out of the other, or or, or do you think that it's just a fact that eventually this deal will still get done? I I think it will still get done. Um, you know, I think you always see a bit of this with negotiations. Um, I do actually have some sympathy with with United over this one I think you know that they have compromised a lot since what was the opening bid 45 million I think they're up to 55 million now um you know Chelsea I think wanted 70 and are now saying they'll go to 65 there's been three bids and you look at you know you, people at United will point out to the fact that United um or uh, Chelsea have dealt very swiftly with City for Matteo Kovacic they signed Raheem Sterling maybe that's the best example last year for 47 and a half million when he wanted to go and had a year left on his contract. 
Uh, I don't see why Mason Mount would be more expensive, really, than Raheem Sterling. And I know Sterling's not had a great season at, at Chelsea, but I think if you look at where Sterling was last year and where Mount is this year, you'd think they're pretty similar deals. And, and Chelsea trying to flush out an extra £20 million basically. So, you know, I do have some sympathy with, with United for this. I, I can see their position. I think what they're finding as well, and I wrote a piece on this yesterday, I think it was, is that they're... You know, they're finding it that it's harder to lose a reputation in the transfer market than it is to gain one. And basically, they've always overpaid for players. They've overpaid a lot for players. There was a, a report by the Football Observatory last year, which often does some interesting stuff about how they've overpaid for players more than any other club in Europe over the last 10 years. And obviously, that's all subjective to a degree. It's, it's based on their player valuations, but it's very methodical. And, you know, it, it is fairly interesting and often fairly accurate. And, and United came out on top. And I think there's always a sense that... They've overpaid for players. You look at eighty million for Maguire, which they paid pretty much in in one lump sum. They basically just cut out to Leicester's demands for that. Last July, they were telling us they weren't going to sign Anthony because it was eighty million euros and it was too much. And you know, six weeks later, they signed him for a hundred million euros. They they embarrassed themselves really over Anthony and the way the way that transpired last summer. And they just kept going and going and going until they met Ajax's price because because Ten Hag wanted him that much. And they'd started the season terribly. And when you do that you gain a reputation for being a soft touch in the transfer market. And I think that's where United are. And that's probably what Chelsea see. And they've, you know, Chelsea have, the, the Kovacic example isn't a perfect one because he is 29. Um, mm. You know, there's, there is a difference there, but um, they, they did a swift deal with City because it was a reasonable fee. And also because they know that City will just walk away from deals if it gets too expensive. They've done it with Maguire and Fred and, and various other players, and and maybe that looks looks like genius now from from a city point of view. But they have got a firm valuation, and they will say no. They will say no. City did it with Van Dijk, which maybe doesn't look as 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 big a stroke of of genius. So United need to show that they've got that within them, because when they do things like Anthony last season, clubs like Chelsea will continue to try and take the mick out of them. So I do think that United are are doing the right thing this time. They they do have a limit. We know, as we'll come on to, that this is a pretty tight transfer window in terms of funds and, and what they need. Um, and I think, you know, they, they've said all along they have a limit with Mason Mount and it seems they've hit their limit. And fans might not think there's much of a difference between the 55 million on offer and the 65 million Chelsea want. But it's not it's not just a £10 million extra. It's it's potentially £10 million extra on every deal because all you do is continue that that trait of, of being a team that can be fleeced or a club that can be fleeced in the transfer market, basically. And once you've got that reputation, as they're finding out, it, it can affect every single deal you try and do. Exactly. And you mentioned that, I know that we must sound like a broken record to some degree on this podcast, but there is, there's so much mitigation, there's so many cogs, aren't there, that, that are mm. all interlinked this this summer, really, in the way that United are going to be, be operating. So, like you said, you can see why the club as well will want to have performance-related add-ons so that the initial outlay is, is as low as possible. We always say that, you know, the, as we'll get on to maybe in the second act, that player sales will, will play a huge part for United regardless of the uncertain takeover situation. But, but right now, United almost have to operate in a worst-case scenario. They've almost got to operate as if they're not going to sell all the players they want to sell and they're not going to have that cash injection of, of a potential takeover because... You know, until that's happened, you just can't be spending that money and, and, and making bigger problems for yourself further down the line. So I know that people say Man United sort of strapped for cash and boo-hoo, they can only afford £55 million. But it really is that sort of situation, isn't it, where there's so many finite details and particularly because there's other 
areas of the squad that need to be improved. It is difficult to say now, you know, just how much United can can chase Mount. But would you say, I know we spoke about this uh, earlier today in work before we started the podcast. From my point of view, I, I do think striker and goalkeeper are bigger, bigger issues than midfield. So how long can United keep pursuing, you know, this midfield situation? It seems, you know, obviously it's not... Everyone knows they're prioritising the addition of a striker, but it is maybe a bit confusing that there's all the noise about the positions United want to strengthen, and yet it seems a midfielder would be the most likely first arrival this summer. Yeah, I, I think there's. I think the case for signing a midfielder got stronger and stronger as the season went on, and particularly the end of the season. Christian Eriksen had a, a decent season, but I think his performances in, in the final weeks of the season were a long way away from his performances at the start of the season. As we saw, there's not a lot of depth there, really. It's, you know, Sabitz has gone and, and isn't going to come back. Fred and McTominay aren't really of, of that quality. It felt like they needed a bit of energy and, and youthfulness in there. And, you know, I certainly sound like a broken record. I've said several times now that by September, next, by September, that midfield of Casemiro, Eriksson and Fernandes is going to be 31, 31 and 29. And you can't have them playing every week in a 55-game season. You You simply need that depth and you need a bit more energy and I, I do think Mount ticks a lot of boxes. I, I wrote a piece the other day on, on how, how much Ten Hag liked him when he was on loan at, at Vitesse in Holland in five five seasons ago now, 2017-18 and liked him so much he actually tried to sign him on loan the following season and has, has followed him pretty closely from what I'm, what I'm led to believe since then and he he is, you know, he's 24, he does bring that kind of youthfulness and that energy and you're then maybe looking at Ericsson as your fourth choice midfielder and it it makes a big difference. But it, it, it is, like you say, it is a balancing act that they do need a striker and, and we'll get onto that, but that's looking a lot more complicated than it did maybe three or four months ago when the, the prices clubs are being quoted for strikers this summer are, are astronomical. And you're right that United have to probably work off the presumption at the moment that their budget is maybe 120 to 150 million. Um, they can boost it with sales, but they have to sell players first. Um, and they're not really in that situation and it's, they're also in that position, which again we'll come on to with David De Gea, where do they need a goalkeeper or, or do they not? It's, you know, it's, it's kind of unknown and I guess it's a, a compromise. You get the sense that Ten Hag trying to accelerate that, that kind of squad rebuild this summer and would maybe happily sell, sell eight players to sign three this summer. You, know, you, you could envisage a scenario like that, which I think would actually be good news for United. But I, I can see why he'd want a midfielder. Like I say, I thought that the case got stronger and stronger as last season went on. You could offset it by selling Fred. If you bring Mount in for Fred, a uh, cost of maybe 30, 35, 40 million, I think that's pretty good business. And I guess it's it's one where it's happening first because in theory, it, it should be the easiest one to do because he's, he's out of contract. He doesn't want to stay at Chelsea at the moment and he wants to come to United. So it's a deal that, that should be easy to do, but is is proving more difficult than people probably thought. That's reassuring, isn't it? This is this is as good as it gets for United in the transfer window. Yeah. Don't it? It's only going to get harder on, on the other deal. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. If not Mount, then Ty, who would you go for? We've all sort of had these the speculation of who might be a, a suitable replacement. There's a lot of names floating about. Some of them not direct like-for-like replacements for, for Mason Mount. All maybe have their advantages and disadvantages. Some of them cost more, some of them, some of them may be more affordable. There's proven options as players who you probably wouldn't have started over Ericsson. You know, United, we hear, have got at least four other players they've shortlisted. We know that they make a shortlist of players in every single position and then as we 
keep on saying as the variables as, as the season goes on the summer goes on a player might not be available anymore someone might come available your budget might change so the player you're looking at or have is your first choice is no longer accessible maybe previously someone you were looking at is now affordable and you know I'm sure Frankie de Jong was put up for sale United would then have to have interest back in him again you know there is so much mitigation in the way United approach and maybe even in terms of as we said of the striker you don't want to go too early because you don't know what might happen but if not Mason Mount, who would be your choice then for United? We've heard Rabio, we've heard Caicedo, uh, a few other players, and you can bet that there'll be players like Mohamed Kudus and other players in the Eredivisie that Ten Hag will know quite well himself. Who would be your alternative to Mount then? Difficult one to call. I mean, the, the ideal alternative is probably Alexis McAllister, and you wonder if United are kind of kicking themselves now that, that, that they allowed that that move to happen. I mean, maybe he, maybe he was adamant he wanted to go to Liverpool, but you know, th- this is a season where United have the, the the option of Champions League football, and, and Liverpool don't. And at thirty five million, it seems for a midfielder who can play basically every every role really in that midfield. I mean, he looks an ideal alternative to to Mason Mount, and it, it did feel like they basically swapped, they almost swapped targets. I think for a long time it was expected that Liverpool would be the ones pushing hard for Mount this summer, and in the end. They've they've signed McAllister. United are pushing hard for Mount, and now finding it's a, it's a much more difficult deal to do. But I do think there's certainly similarities with um, McAllister in terms of that versatility to play as an eight, as a ten, maybe even as a six. But obviously that's that's gone. Um, Caicedo is someone United have liked for a long time. We know they tried to sign him in January 2021 when he went to Brighton, and they pulled out of that deal because it was they described it at the time to us as too messy. And that there was too many agents and intermediaries in, involved and it was hard to know who was pulling what strings and you can understand why a club like United would think we don't we don't need this hassle for a 19 year old midfielder who's played 31 yeah, games I'd also say in, on this tax well something that slightly annoys me is if he'd come to United I just don't think he'd be the player he is now because 100%. I don't think he'd be given he yeah. wouldn't have been given the opportunities United you know since that time frame sack managers you know they've had Ranić in charge they've been They've, they've been as messy themselves as that situation was. So I do think quite often it's easy to say, oh, we missed out on him and look who he is now. But the whole point is, if he hadn't gone to Brighton, United might have just bought a £6 million flop or something. You know, someone yeah. who never quite fulfilled that potential. So I, totally I always agree. try to put that caveat in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mentioned that in a piece I did on Caicedo this morning. When I basically said that United, you know, United's recruitment team actually deserves credit for, for spotting Caicedo when he was playing when he played 30 games in Ecuador and, and spotting he had potential and maybe they are kicking themselves. But like you say, this is where the, you know, you often hear talk and we've said it as well and it's an easy thing to say really that the big clubs, the big six in the Premier League should take a leaf out of Brighton's book or, or Brentford's book and, and be run like that. But the reality is they can't because if United pack their team with players like Moises Caicedo at 20, they will become like Brighton and as good as Brighton are doing, United aspire to more. So, you know, Brighton and are signing, better still. And are better, yeah. And, and Brighton, league. yeah. Brighton and Brentford are, are a stepping stone, basically, and are doing very well at selling themselves as that. But the fact is that a lot of these players that, that go there, and CISO now, who's who's doing brilliantly, McAllister, Caicedo, if they'd have gone to a big six club straight away, they wouldn't have got the chances as early. They could have got lost in the system. You, you know, you're right that there's absolutely no guarantee. And the fact is that the, the those clubs the the United Cities Liverpool Chelsea you know those clubs can't act like Brighton and Brentford really because they don't have the room 
to give players those those opportunities because they're playing their best eleven every week and and competing for trophies. Brighton can afford to give Caicedo time to settle in, and let's let's be honest, he did he needed a long time to settle in. He had a fairly underwhelming, I think, loan in Belgium. He didn't get in a team for a long time the season before last, so he did he did need that time, and he's exploded now and looks a great player. But he went to the right club rather than coming to United in in January 2021. And you're right that he probably wouldn't be in this position now. But he is someone that they, we know they like. He'd be even more expensive than Mount, but he's 21. Um, has got a longer contract. I think there is an acceptance at United that his his situation is different. But like we say, when when they're when funds are limited, it, it may be hard to envisage that happening unless they throw a player into a deal. Um, you know, you mentioned Mohamed Kudus there. I know for a fact he's someone that Ten Hag likes as a player, but I, th- I find him hard to really pigeonhole. You you know, you look at. I can't say I've seen a lot of Ajax this year, but you look at where he's played and the odd game you see in the champ. I mean, the Champions League. I think he played every game as a false nine. In the Eredivisie, he's playing attacking midfield. He's playing in midfield. He's right wing you know, as well. Yeah, right wing. And in the World yeah. Cup, he was striker. He was basically Ghana, a striker so. again for Ghana. Yeah, and it, at that point, I mean, I think he's early twenties now, isn't he? Like he's twenty three, twenty four, something like that. Maybe, 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 maybe twenty two. Anyway, he's early twenties, and he's he's at the point where he should have a position rather than being so versatile that you're up front one minute and, and in a deeper midfield role the next and you wonder whether that would kind of play out in the Premier League were he to sign. So it's you know, there's there's no obvious replacement there. And if they sign Caicedo, like we say, he's a very different player he's than than Mason Mount. I think he's they've maybe got similar skill sets in terms of that energy and that pressing, but Mount will give you a lot more going forward than Caicedo, I think. Um so yeah, it's it's hard. I think it's hard to see where they land at the moment if they do if they do go for alternative. Yeah. So in short, United's perfect signing would be Alexis McAllister, and they've already missed the boat on that one. So happy summer to United fans. It's going to be a long, long one. As Ty said, Mason Mount's the easy deal to complete. So keep watching this space, and we'll see what happens. But uh, thank you very much for joining us, part one of the Manchester Red Podcast. We'll be back shortly after this break. Well, Ty, we mentioned earlier in the podcast that player sales will be crucial for United this summer, not only because of financial fair play regulations, but United just quite simply need to cut the fat on a bloated squad. There's a lot of players who are out of favour, but still have a decent price tag attached to their name as well. We've seen Ten Hag be ruthless with the fact that Zidane balls off to FC Utrecht, you know, a player who, who looked quite promising and had a lot more to offer, but Ten Hag just believed that he wasn't quite at the world-class quality he wanted from his young players. United have always you know, acted maybe a bit hesitantly when it comes to player sales. It's always maybe far easier said than done, though. I think we do live in this sort of video game world where you can just put a player up for sale and bids come flying in left, right and centre. It's not as easy as that. There's wages, there's representation fees, there's so much mitigation to it all. Often as well, some players don't want to leave and if they're under contract they're under no obligation to do so again it's very easy to open up fee for a football manager list half the United squad and they go and then you've got a 200 million pound transfer budget waiting for you you go and buy someone like Mbappe done easy in reality it's gonna be a lot harder than that yeah where do United stand on player sales right now I know every year we see these articles of United could sell 13 14 15 players the reality is it probably about six or seven, if we're lucky. 
yeah, I think you, I think six is six or seven is is probably a good number. I mean, I think there's a dozen that they maybe could sell. Um, that they won't sell all of them because that would probably leave them too short. There's there's already a few that have obviously left on on free transfers or are going on free transfers. Um, but you know, I mean, players like Bailly and Telles for certain can go if they can find a buyer for them. Um, you know, I, I mean, they need a they need a bit of Saudi investment, don't they, to to be able to to get Al Hilal or something to buy Bailly and Telles for them. And then after that, there's you know there's there's plenty that that could go. Brandon Williams is another I think that would be sold in an instance if there was a, a reasonable bid that that came in. And then you're looking at more senior players. I mean Hen- Henderson is we know Forrest wants him. Samuel's done the story today. Um, even though he's off workaholic, he puts us puts the rest of us in a bad light about Henderson still expecting to go to Forrest. And that is one that is basically being held up just because of of what's happening with De Gea and the uncertainty over keepers. And the thing is, a lot of the sales, you know, United could sign Mount and sell Fred, maybe even sell McTominay. That's kind of a one-in, one-out basis. They could sell Alanga, I think, and Palestri, say, without really needing to replace them. They've also got Ahmad coming in. But if they sold Martial, maybe they need two strikers. And you know how hard it is for them even to sign one. They, they could use Rashford, I guess, as a kind of a backup number nine and, and playing on the left. But... Maguire is another. I think I've said several times now. I think it makes sense for Maguire to go this year, but it does leave them short defensively. Um, they that they'd then be left with three centre halves or four, I guess, if you include Luke Shaw. Maybe they'd look to sign a, a versatile defender, somebody who can play left back, and Shaw could basically become that fourth choice centre back. But you know, Maguire is someone they could sell and, and probably would need replacing. Same with Martial. The midfield you, you can probably sell two of Van der Beek, McTominay and Fred, but you need to find a buyer for Van der Beek. He's, you know, when, when I've been doing sales stories, I just forget he even exists, to be honest. It's, um, you know, he's, he's played so rarely and obviously he was unlucky last season with the injury, but it does feel like there's not much future for him. So, yeah, I think there's a, there's an awareness they need to raise funds they to, to complete what they want to, even if they only sign three players in the transfer market and sign a keeper, a midfielder and a striker, you're probably looking at pushing 200 million. 180 million maybe 200 million so I think there's an awareness they need to sell players and there's probably a versatility as to who exactly that would be beyond the, the obvious ones like Williams by Tellez maybe Henderson um, after that it's it's see see what interest there is I guess um, and take it from there but some like Martial I mean you it's, it's hard to see there's an obvious buyer for Martial he did okay last season but he's just so injury prone that any club knows get, they're taking yeah. a risk on him I suppose the other factor as well, Ty, is until you've signed a striker sometimes, can you really afford to get rid of Marshall? Because well, what yeah. if what if he goes and then United end up either not signing a striker or not signing the calibre of striker they intended to and you've got to buy someone who's, I'm not trying to say the cheap option, you know, he could still be doing a good job, but what if you end up having to sign another Veghorst or an Igalo or a Cavani and you've then only got them and Rashford who doesn't want to play as a striker and is best off the left again and the, the the problems perpetuate and it's really fine isn't it that you need to sell some players to buy their replacement but you're also quite reluctant to buy the replacement until it's to sell them until you've got the replacement in so there's going to be certain players who although you want to sell they might still be a bit greedy and a bit reluctant to get rid of because like I said, with Marshall, United just don't have the other options, do they? And I know it's easy enough to say, go buy a striker, but everyone knows United need a striker. They'll need one even more so if Marshall goes. 
they can demand a bit more money. And what if it gets to another situation like we're in with Mount? What if they say, that's the fee we want? United offer it and they go, I actually want a bit more. And it keeps getting dragged out. And particularly with, with last summer as well, the way that played out, you know, United had already lost enough momentum, really. They'd lost their opening two matches and then they reinforced again. If United want to win the league title, they cannot afford to drop points in their first two league games. And yeah. you've got to have the right players in to, to do that. And you'd always look at last season, the first two games, as the evidence that the Ten Hag needs to be backed and back now because United can't afford to lose ground if they do really want to, to win the league. But again, to be very sort of flimsy on this, there's just there's so many variables, aren't there? And you do have to have an element of sympathy with United because there is so much to consider. There is, yeah, and you know, I think it it is, you know, th- th- you this this won't get much sympathy from from fans and, and especially online fans who are mad for transfer news at the moment. But it, it is hard, I think, to buy players when you're Man United, just because of that name, partly because of the reputation they've got, and that, of course, is their own fault. But they often speak of a, a United tax. I think there's a degree of that now going on with Mason Mount. I mean, I put in a in a, an opinion piece yesterday. If it was a different club. You know, if it was Liverpool that were after Mason Mount, would Chelsea have accepted by now? Or if it was Man City, would they have accepted by now? I think there's probably an argument that they would have. And that they're only pushing United for more because United are, are kind of seen as an easy touch, but also seen as that, that name. And we see it all the time. Every transfer window, there's 100 plus players linked with United. Half of them are probably agents just using the name Manchester United to... To get to get their um, player player out there or player a new deal, the the name Manchester United sells and it is difficult for them. I mean, I know for a fact there was a, a, a I'm not 100 percent sure who it was, but there was a player, I think a striker, young striker that United inquired about last year, of of whom they knew there were bids of 15 million pound in, and when United rang up, they were told it was 28 million. And you know that's when you say, you know, when John Murta picks up the phone and says, "Hi, it's John Murta from Manchester United." That's what you often get. The calculator comes out, and that extra twenty percent goes on. So it's not easy for United to to do those sort of things. And I know we're going to come on to strikers in in the next section. I mean, I really do fear for them when it comes for a striker search at the moment and and who they get because it it just looks a really difficult market this summer. More difficult, I think, than we probably expected so so yeah it is difficult and you're right that if they sell martial and we're kind of seeing this you know we might want to keep the next but we're kind of seeing this with de gea that they could this week just say right that that you know that's it thanks for 12 years of great service david you've been brilliant but we're moving on but then the pre-season starts then in a week or so and they haven't caught a goalkeeper they haven't got a first choice goalkeeper they've got dean henderson who wants to leave and, and tom heaton who's who's 37 um, and, and also wanted to leave in the summer and, and wanted to go and play more regular football. So if they do take that approach with De Gea, it, it leaves them wide open and, and you know you could see an argument that they end up having to compromise there as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like you said, they might as well touch on De Gea because that is, a, again, one of these situations that's very fluid. Lots of things could happen on that. Right now, as we're recording this on Monday... There's you know, still no closer maybe to, to agreeing those terms. He's still technically out of contract on Friday. That, of course, doesn't mean his time at United would be, would be over by, by any means. He'd still be able to re-sign that if, if he wanted to, if an agreement could be reached. But I suppose what is so perplexing, Ty, is United had the option of an additional year. That expired last month. Obviously, United were keen to get him on, on lower terms anyway, so you can understand why they, they pass at that. But... If they definitely want to keep De Gea, there was an easy option there to, to have him for an extra season. 
it's the fact it's gotten this far, isn't it? Four days left now, four full days to to get him signed up for a longer term deal if United want to, while they're still in control of it as well. But we're still no close to knowing definitively and lots of talk about players who could come in and replace him. I think we all know that De Gea isn't going to change his style of play. He's still a bit of an awkward fit. Yes, he's an amazing shot stopper, but he's also flawed as a modern goalkeeper. There's lots of lots of his saves are redemption saves after earlier mistakes where he's not come for the ball properly, whether you know he's, he's misplaced a pass. But I guess that whole indecision does still sum up a key issue at United that some of these ruthless calls are still being tainted by sentiment, perhaps. Would any other club keep David De Gea going into next season? And No Man City didn't. Pep Guardiola got rid of Joe Hart immediately because he just thought this isn't ever, we're never going to be where I want us to be with him in goal. And I suppose it's still a, a tricky one. There'll be fans who, who are on both sides of the camp, really, on this one. Yeah, the well, I, I, you know, I mean, this, the Guardiola example is is right, but they also signed they signed the wrong keeper for a year. They had unlimited money and still signed the wrong keeper in Claudio Bravo. They'd have probably done better that year with Joe Hart in goal, and you know they they have they have enough backing to have got it right a year later with Edison, and he is perfect for City. There is certainly an argument for being ruthless, and I I'm guessing here, but my my opinion would be that Ten Hag is probably leaning towards being ruthless. But like we've said, the, you run the risk then of starting pre-season training without a first-choice goalkeeper. And again, this is a little bit of guesswork, but the fact it's it's reached this point and we're still being told, you know, I was speaking to someone about this this morning, we're still being told, let's see what happens this week. You know, we, we could still speak to him beyond Friday. There could be an agreement this week. You know, let's let's see what happens was basically the, the tone of it. So it's still very, like you said, very fluid. He could resign him. You just get the impression, putting two and two together, that they're maybe looking at that goalkeeper market now and trying to decide whether there's a deal to be done before they make a decision on De Gea. You know, if they were to make a breakthrough for Anana this week, say, then you get to the point with De Gea where you say, right, you can go. If Inter Milan continue to say, you know, if Inter say Anana's not for sale or we want 70 million or something like that and there's no alternative, maybe you back down and you say, you know, we'll we'll keep we'll keep to Haya. That's kind of what you mentioned about striker that you want to know what's happening with an incoming before you let sanction and outgoing. And they can they can afford to be relaxed with De Gea because the fact is he's been able to speak to clubs overseas from January the first, and he's not signed anything. He's still he's still open to signing at United. So they can afford to be relaxed. I guess if they want, they can afford to let it run beyond Friday. You would think there'd come a point where De Gea might think I'm, I'm being made a mug of here. But we do know that he, you know, he does love it at United. Um, spoken to him enough in, in recent years to know that he is genuine in his affection for the club and how much he loves playing here. And he said last summer he'd want to finish his career here. He's said a few times in Mixer interviews this year that the contract will get sorted. Obviously, it hasn't done. Um, and I still think, I, you know, I still would think lean just towards that it, it won't happen, but. It still wouldn't surprise me if we got to Thursday and United just thought we we literally just cannot afford a new number one and you have to compromise. And I think at some point in this window, I think United will have to compromise. I don't I don't think they can end this window with the squad that Ten Hag wants. I just I think it's probably too hard to to get to that position. And we you know, maybe we're a bit away from that anyway, but I think in an ideal world Ten Hag would probably have Mount 
a striker such as Kane and a new goalkeeper, maybe Anana, come the first day of the season or the end of the transfer window. I, I think I think that's pretty unlikely, to be honest. Um, you know, never say never because we know how hard Ten Hag pushes his recruitment team and pushes the limits and pushes his football directors. I think he oversaw Ajax's three most expensive transfer windows ever. He's overseen United's most expensive transfer window. He will keep asking and asking and asking for more money, um, which you know most managers do, to be fair. So you'd never say never, but just looking at the market, it, it feels like a hard market for United to make that happen. So I do wonder if there'll come a point maybe later this week where they just think we, we can't get a goalkeeper as well and they have to compromise and, and keep De Gea in and sign that new deal. Yeah, and of course, like you said there as well, De Gea is still better than having no goalkeeper. You can't just get rid yeah. of him and then say, well, next season, you know, we'll have Heaton and Bishop and they'll they'll get us to the Premier League title. You know, United's, as much as De Gea is flawed, he's still a very good goalkeeper that lots of teams would yeah. want. And I know you might say, well, why don't, why don't we want to sign him now? It's not as easy as that. But United still, I don't think, would have too many problems or too many worries if they went into next season with De Gea. There might be a preference not to have him and to have someone else, but it's not exactly the worst plan B to, to fall back on it if required. Uh, thank you very much for joining us for part two. We'll be back shortly after this break. So Ty, we've almost covered all areas of the pitch there. Strikers, as we've mentioned, Anthony Marshall's uncertain future does play a big part in this. Every other striker seems to be bracketed very close to the sort of hundred million pound mark at this moment in time. United will have to spend big if they want the strike of the quality that they do desire the most. As we've said, that's far easier said than done. There's the uncertainty of the takeover, there's the limited budget, the fact they need to sell players, the fact that they still don't know quite what to do with other players at the club. So it is complicated. We're probably repeating ourselves at this stage, but the striker situation. That is the priority. We, we've heard this for months and months. Everyone's known this, that if United could only sign one player this summer, it would be a striker. Is there even then an argument to say, go and do that? If you've only got this limited budget, go spend it all on a striker because they would have the biggest impact on this squad. Yeah, possibly. You know, Maybe there is an argument to say, get Harry Kane first. You know, Let's do that deal. If it costs... 80, 90, 100 million pounds, do that deal, see what's left, go from there. And then I guess you instantaneously become more attractive to players like Mason Mount anyway. You know, Mount's perfectly happy to sign, but if you saw United already sign Kane, you might think, yeah, I need to, I need to be there, I need to push it with Chelsea. Um, but for whatever reason, that's, that's not the case. Um, you know, United have, have very much called on the idea of signing Kane. They They seem to believe that Daniel Levy's stance that he just is not going to sell to a Premier League club is genuine. Yeah, I, I don't. I think there's an argument that you could at least try to to sign him. I think it would need Kane to kick up a fuss as well. To be honest, I think it would need Kane to play yeah, well, his part. It was a Mid City talks, wasn't it, that he refused to turn for training? That, you yeah, know, he did. Yeah, he'd, he'd but have it, to actively push, wouldn't he? He would, yeah. It, I always thought it felt like he backed down quite quickly in 2021. Um, you know, he, he refused to turn up for training, but then said this is you know, it was a mix-up, and you know was very quickly back in training. And I think as soon as that happened, I think Daniel Levy probably thought, "Got him." You know, he, he ain't going anywhere. And really, Kane should now be looking at what Erling Haaland's doing at City and thinking, "Here's what you could have won." 
you know, if he'd have not gone back for training there, if he'd have gone on strike, and I know it's it's not it's not a good thing to do. It doesn't really fit with Kane's image. I don't think he's that type of person. But this is a short career, and if he'd have if he'd have gone on strike, if he'd have really really pushed it two years ago, he could be at City now, and he could have just won a treble, quite potentially. And he's 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 won, you know, naff all basically instead. So I think he really does need to push it. And whether that's submitting a transfer request, refusing to turn up for training, refusing to play in pre-season, so be it. He's got to make it absolutely clear to Daniel Levy that he wants out. And I think he's within his rights to do that. And I think Tottenham fans would be accepting of that. You know, he's given his best years to Tottenham and he's been made a muck off by Daniel Levy, basically. He's, he's wasted his best years at Tottenham. He's given them absolutely everything. They've given him absolutely nothing. You know, it's, it's time to go. And he can wait a year and see what his options are. But it's entirely plausible that United sign a striker this year who happens to be, you know, say they signed a younger striker. They did do it, a Kola Moani or, or Hoshland, who turns out to be brilliant. Suddenly they don't need Kane next year and his options are, are more limited. Um, so, uh, you know, he's got to strike while the iron's hot, I think, and really kick up a fuss and, and try and and try and make it happen. And if he does that, maybe United come back on board. But like, you know, like you said there, the market just looks treacherous, really. I think we've been writing for six months now that it's probably between Kane and Osserman, but the, the Osserman talk has gone really, really quiet. It seems that he's probably going to stay at, at Napoli. Um, De Laurentiis has basically said he's, he's not going anywhere and quoting astronomical fees. Like we say, United United think Levy's being genuine when he says there's no chance he's going to a Premier League club. After that, the, you know, Ten Hag has held video calls with Hosland. Hosland looks a talented player. He scored nine goals in 33 games in Serie A. Has played for three clubs in 18 months, and they want 80 million euros. It's absolutely insane. It's, it's you know it's mad money that, um, and they're right to go nowhere near it. And then Colo Moani maybe did all right in the World Cup, done fairly well in the Bundesliga, but to come from Eintracht Frankfurt, I think it is, and then lead the line for United is a massive step up. And I think you know what Ten Hag wants is a guarantee of goals and success as a striker in the Premier League and I don't think Hodgland or Kolo Moani offer that at the moment so it is going to be very interesting to see where they go in 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 the striker market and it only strengthens the idea that they should push for Kane that they shouldn't just say well, this is Levy's stance and we think he's genuine you know slap a 90 million pound offer on the table slap an 80 million offer on the table just have a go because at the moment there's no alternative out there and it's hard to see at the moment where a breakthrough comes in terms of signing a striker. Like you said there as well, I, I just don't know how you can move on to another target until you've given it your all on Kane. I mean, I do personally, my opinion is that if you know you've got a limited budget, 120, maybe to 150 million, just say, yeah, we'll spend all that on Kane. Mm. Because he is the, the, the player that will change his squad the most. And yes, you might be, any other additions then might rely on selling players first and you might not be able to strengthen everywhere you want. But, We've all known, everyone knows United need an elite striker. It's it's quite, it's just the bottom line that if you want to be as good as Man City, you need a striker who's as good as Erling Haaland who can match those figures. Harry Kane was the only person who managed it last season. His achievements may be even better than, than Haaland. So it's got to be Kane. You've got to give it your all first. And like you said, I just don't really like this almost reluctance from United's point of view that's, oh, well, let's not bother. And he said, you know, Levy said he's not going to sell us, tell them to us, at least try because what's the worst that can happen? They say no. And then you know you've got your defensive answer. You've given, 
you've done everything you can to try and say sign Harry Kane, and I think you just need to to go all out for him first, and and then and then reconsider because signing just Harry Kane might not be what some United fans wanted, but it's hardly a bad window that you know he is a world class elite striker who would generally turn United into title contenders. Yes, they might then still not have the squad depth to go all the way and, and match City, but they'd be a lot closer than, than they were last season, you'd imagine. And yeah, I just think it's it makes so much sense, but it's maybe a lot easier for us to say in, in this position. The other concern then, Ty, as well, is that it did feel like at the start of the, the summer, a few months ago as well, before we, the window opened, that Hodgland and Colomarani were being looked at as the cheaper more budget-friendly yeah. options, but they're going to cost roughly the same as you'd expect the very, very top-end strikers to cost. If it does happen that none of those are available, United can't justify spending such a fee on them, what is the solution? Because they have to get a body in at least. Do you think they would go just literally a case of another Veghorst, another Cavani, just getting anyone who, who can at least play up front? Do you think there's anyone in the Premier League? Do you think there's any sort of wild card option that, that you'd go for yourself? I mean, the, the ideal one would have been Ivan Tony, but obviously that's now a total a total non-starter, really. He can't he can't play until January. Um, you know, I think he could complete a transfer, but I'm not sure United would see it worthwhile trying to sign him while he's while he is banned. Um but I think he's he in terms of Premier League strikers, he's probably next best that's attainable. Ollie Watkins had a pretty good second half, or a very good second half of the season, to be fair, under Unai Emery, but it's a mighty step up to play for, for United. Um, and, you know, like after that, it's difficult. There's no one off the top of my head that I'm thinking is maybe in the 50 million price bracket that is, is worth doing. And maybe you do say, right, we'll, we'll, sign, we'll sign someone for a season, maybe, to, to wait for Kane on a free transfer. But it's difficult difficult to do that I think I, I don't know who that would be and you're spending a lot of money on someone who might then become your second choice striker and there is of course the admittedly slim possibility that Hans Postoglu turns out to be um, you know some kind of wizard of Oz and takes Tottenham back into the top four and competing for trophies and Kane thinks I'll I'll hang around I'll, I'll stay here and, and stay a Tottenham hero and try and win something and sign a new contract it's unlikely but not entirely impossible so, so yeah I don't I don't really know and like we say it, it's the fees that are being quoted that, that make you bulk really because there's no Hosland especially I think is mad Kolo Moani's obviously a little bit more experienced than that looks a good player but it just it just seems to be a hell of a lot of money for a player who's the biggest club on his CV is, is Eintracht Frankfurt really um, and then in the Premier League you know I mean Ollie Watkins is the one off the top of my head uh, beyond that, I, Paul I can't. Paul Mullen, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a dream that would be. I mean, Rex, Rex are in a position where they could probably ask for fifty million as well at the moment. Uh, the, amount, the amount of yeah. cash you lot have got, yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. But I, just, I suppose that's the concern, isn't there? Is you're gonna have to take a gamble, really, aren't you? Yeah, but we kind of. And they're in a position now where we've said how you know, have these solid foundations. If they get the signing right, then they could be title challengers potentially. But then if you have to gamble on your striker, it just feels like you risk undoing all your hard work for for another year. And I, that's the whole point. There's no one I can say, you know, that I've got a strong opinion on who would be a good wildcard option. I mean, like you I, said, yeah. I, I think, I, I remember checking this, I think on the top of my head, I, I do think Arnautovic outscored Hodgland last season. 
I would imagine. I think he probably has. He started the season really well on Outerich, didn't he? I imagine he outscored him by November, to be honest, considering Hosland only got nine. Um, this is going to be very elite podcasting while I, while I Google live on air. Right? I mean, I'll, I'll again, throw a name. shout out now. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can watch us uh, do it. Do it in person, live research. Go on, Ty, who's your name? Um, I mean, this won't happen for obvious reasons, really, but Roberto Firmino? Um, yeah. You know, I, I think it's pretty unlikely he'd signed for United, given his Liverpool connections. But you this, is a, this is a brilliant podcast in which we've suggested Alexis McAllister, Ivan Tony, and Roberto <laughs> Firmino to solve United. It's a... Uh, Transfer issues. Yeah, yeah. The holy yeah. trinity. Don't worry, John. Your job's safe now. at the moment. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, he's he, you know he's a proven Premier League striker who would do a job for two seasons, maybe on a free transfer. And you know there there are obvious barriers to to that move. I mean, I don't think he's got any antagonistic history with United, but he played for Liverpool for a long time, and I, you know I, I can't imagine he would. And if that, I mean, just Googled him to check he hadn't signed for anyone. It looks like he's close to signing for a club in, surprise, surprise, Saudi Arabia. Um, so they can probably offer more money than United. And, and like I said, there's obvious reasons it wouldn't happen. But he's the type of free agent that you'd think, you know, he'd, he'd do a job for a year. But United shouldn't really be in, in the market for someone who should do a job for a year. And like you were saying before, in terms of trying for Kane now, I mean, what's the better window? Kane, Mount and De Gea stays as number one next year. Or Anana Mount and Martial stays as striker next year, because that might have to be the sort of compromise that that United and Ten Hag make at some point, and, and have to decide yeah. which 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 is the preferable option. Yeah, exactly. I know what my answer would be there. Uh, I'd just point out as well, Hodgson scored nine in in Serie A. Arnautovic got ten um, across the entire season. Hodgson scored more um, in obviously had Champions League qualifying. He scored in the cups as well, but. You know there is no guarantees there, but I suppose if uh, what Ten Hag has proven to a degree is if there is a player that he feels is worth taking the risk on, there might be someone who is out of the blue who who he knows who who did play in Eredivisie or whatever, or someone he's worked with previously. I suppose there is he's got enough credit in the bank for for that risk to be taken, but who knows? I suppose, and I suppose that is the uncertain message that that still lingers over United at this moment in time, and we shall see. And of course, you can keep up to date with all the transfer news on the Manchester Evening News website and on the Manchester is Red podcast throughout the summer. Again, another plug for our YouTube channel. If you don't already subscribe, make sure you search for us on there. And also, for those of you who have TikTok and are down with the kids, we are on there as well if you want to see some of these clips uh, Never yeah, heard on another platform or, or whatever. I don't really understand it, but I've been told to plug it. Um, Ty, thank you very much. Thank you, Rich. I was about to say, I understand TikTok as much as you understand uh, suggesting transfer targets, but <laughs> a fair one. I think I forgot But yeah, thank you very much. And yeah, if you're watching on YouTube, comment below. Let us know who you think would be a uh, a good option for United this summer. Maybe give us your best case and a wild card situ- uh, suggestion as well. Anyone we've not thought of there, um, you probably got to say how how nonsensical most of our suggestions were, but we enjoy that anyway. Uh, take care. Thank you very much, and join us on Friday. We'll be back at the same time, and we'll see you again next time.